Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I have failed epically this week. I'm recording this intro at 12.38 a.m. Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. Forgive me for getting the podcast in your hands so late. I had a crazy weekend. I'm going to complain to you for a second here. So let me take you back to the beginning of when Different Church started. Hannah and I both came from a background where the church put a lot of um, load and work on volunteers, uh, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that inherently. Um, if you're a volunteer at a church and you're there every weekend because that's what you want to do, that's that's great. But we didn't want to be that type of church. We wanted to be a place where um, people who may have experienced some church burnout or some feelings of like being taken advantage of the church could come to and just exist in and not feel like they had to be doing something constantly. So with that being said, when there are things to do, that means sometimes uh, we just do them ourselves, which is cool. You know, we're, we're supposed to, we're the, we're the, we're the church. Well, whatever, we're all the church, but you know what I'm trying to say. Anyway, being at the opera is amazing. They treat us great. 99% of the time when the <clears throat> service is over, we can just kind of like unplug a couple things, tidy up and walk out. Now that it's Christmas and they are doing some performances, their setup is uh, pretty involved and it needs to look a certain way. So I spent like three and a half hours at the church on Saturday, getting it ready for Sunday morning. And then when church was over on Sunday, I had to spend a bunch of extra time putting it back together. And I'm looking at pretty much that cycle for the next couple weeks. So when it was time for me to do the podcast on Sunday night, I was wiped and I didn't do it. And then I sort of forgot for a couple days. (laughs) Anyway, I really loved this service. Uh, The band was awesome, even though you don't get to hear that on the podcast. Hannah's message was on point. She is legitimately... My favorite pastor, y'all. She rocks. And we've got a couple things coming up that we just want to make sure everybody's aware of. If you attend in person, we will not be having service on Christmas Day, which is a Sunday. We will, however, have Christmas Eve morning service. So it's Christmas Eve, but it's not in the evening. It's in the morning. It's on a Saturday. And it's at our normal time at 1030. So please come on out. That's going to be awesome. If you have kiddos, they are going to be singing Feliz Navidad on the 18th. And it's the first song, so make sure you're there on time or early even. Excuse me. Speaking of early, I'm tired. Um, To hear the kiddos sing, they're going to sing with the band. It's going to be adorable. And that's all the announcements I have for you. Hannah has one bonus announcement. One announcement that I forgot to tell Jared to tell you is related to children. If you have a child... You may have noticed that what we used to have was like a pack of four-year-olds in the nursery just running laps. Um, And now they're all five to eight. (laughs) So now they all go with Mr. Jeremy, but now we don't have a pack of four-year-olds anymore. We have a pack of five to eight-year-olds and they need a little more room. So actually what we're going to do is swap rooms, okay? So the nursery up to four years old is going to be in the smaller room because we have a smaller amount of children. And the big room is going to be for the bigger kids. Cool. This is happening on December 18th. So not next week, the week after. Um, And, you know, if the pack of 
five to eight-year-olds graduates and we end up with a pack of two-year-olds, we're going to swap back, <laughs> okay? We're just going to live on the edge. But I just want you to know, if you have a little kid, you will be picking them up from a different room. Um, there's not that many rooms here, so I think you can figure it out. <laughs> but I don't want anyone to be surprised. Okay, my notes say, happy December. <laughs> happy December. Uh, I hope that however you spent your Thanksgiving was delightful and not stressful and intense and full of family drama. Um, I hope you had delicious food and delicious, like, watching of the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade or football or whatever you're into or doing none of that and eating Chinese food. <laughs> this morning, our passage of scripture is Psalm 46, which is a beloved psalm. And Martin Luther actually turned this psalm into a really famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A bulwark never failing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go that low. Um, it is a beautiful piece of poetry, though. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend. Psalm 46 is a song meant to be sung as part of a worship service in ancient Israel, just like we sing songs every Sunday, although I imagine they had less guitar. <laughs> yeah, boo. They didn't know what guitars were. <laughs> How dare they? It proclaims faith in God's protection and presence, even while being highly realistic about the way things are in the world. So if you've grown up in Christian church, you will have heard this song before, I am quite sure, but we're going to read it together now. Yay for us. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. I totally didn't mean for y'all to like read along with me, but I loved that. <laughs> I love that you were like, okay, <laughs> together means we're going to talk. Um, that made me feel very like at home because we used to do that in my church growing up. We would all just read together. Um, so yay for you. Gold star. A you get an A plus in church today. <laughs> this passage is only 11 verses, but it has four movements or four paragraphs, if you will. So the first paragraph is God versus nature. And the second paragraph is God versus human politics. And the third paragraph is God's sovereignty versus our chaos. And then the fourth paragraph is God, the place of utter safety. So that's kind of like a mouthful for only 11 verses, honestly. So we're going to just take it one by one. Um, first, that famous opening line that many of us have heard, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. What kind of trouble? Well, Natural disasters. The earth, I mean, the earth is shaking, the water's roaring, the mountains are cracking. These are all things that we actually still deal with. We just don't use such fancy language. We're like, ah, hurricane, <laughs> an earthquake, a tornado, a volcano. And we might think, oh, okay, the passage is talking about natural disasters. Got it. It is so much deeper than that. 
The language used in Hebrew for this psalm is not just saying there's natural disasters and God is bigger than natural disasters. It is saying that the earth is trying to undo itself. It is as though the earth is trying to revert back to like the watery chaos that existed before God created the world in Genesis. So in Genesis, God tamed the primordial deep. <laughs> um, it says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void. In other words, wild and waste, utter, utter chaos. And the spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, the chaos. And God spoke and created order. God brought order to an unordered existence, an unordered space, an unordered universe, and God made the world livable. And yet, when the writer of this psalm looks around, it is as though the chaos is trying to come back. It is as though the deep is trying to take over the world that God has ordered. And chaos, this is it's returning. That's like far more terrifying than one hurricane. And one hurricane can be pretty terrifying, as we know. If it's true that actual chaos is returning and God doesn't have a handle on it, then everything we hold dear is on the edge of a knife. But the writer insists that this is not God's brilliant. God is a place of refuge and safety. That God is our place of order and stability, even when we're in the upside down, even when everything is crumbling and sinking and nothing feels as though it makes sense anymore. God is stable and secure, and no matter how hard the earth tries to undo God's good creation, it will not prevail. God's strength and protection are offered in the next paragraph as the opposite of political chaos, which I think is more terrifying than natural chaos. Because like, if there's a natural disaster, typically people tend to band together like across race lines, party lines, country lines. We're like, oh no, there was a thing and now we have to like eat and find water and we're gonna help each other. When it comes to politics, <laughs> uh, <laughs> those are like built on division whether it's local or national or global, it's all like, it all boils down to the same thing. We just need to pit people against each other. We don't need to let people know what they're fighting for, just who they're fighting against. Um, we, it's us versus them, like we are obviously right, always, <laughs> always. They're wrong, whoever they are. We have got to come together and fix this because obviously we have the right answer no matter what the situation is. And who cares if we sacrifice vulnerable people or marginalized people? Who cares if we enter other countries violently and like just bend them to our will and exploit them and then leave them worse off than they were before? The same verbs that were used in the first verse are used in the second verse. So the nations are roaring just as the water was roaring. The kingdoms, the politicians, the governments are crumbling just as the mountains were crumbling in paragraph one. Humans in our endless greed and desire for power and control and all of that, attempting, just as the natural world is, to undo God's good creation, to undo the order, to bring back chaos. But the place, the city of God, is a place of peace, protection. There's a stream that flows through the city that keeps it alive, and it's a gentle, like, beautiful, calm, peaceful stream, as opposed to the ocean, which can only, apparently, destroy worlds. The city is cared for, and the people who live there care for each other, and there's no chaos because God lives there. This is God's residence, 
God's casita. And God is safe. The residents can sleep easy because they know that no matter how hard nature or humans try to undo God's creation, they can't prevail because God has created a place of order. Paragraph three. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction on the world. Causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, snaps the spear, and burns the shield. I think this is quite powerful. Like God makes war cease in the entire earth, given how much war there is. Uh, it's hard to imagine this actually happening in the future, let alone now. Uh, but it is a statement of God's sovereignty. And sovereignty is one of those words that gets used in church in relation to God. And we generally don't stop to think about what it means. And like, if you grew up in the church like I did, you just were like, yes, God's sovereignty, and you just accepted it. Or on the other side, in our precious progressive circles, we're just like, sovereignty? We shouldn't use that word. It's much too churchy. <laughs> I don't know why you're using that word, it's, but what does it mean? It means supreme authority, the ultimate decision maker, the final word. And that is a good thing. That is not a bad thing. We talked a few weeks ago about how desperate our world is for like a just and fair judgment of situations. So for the oppressor and the oppressed, right? So the person getting harmed needs someone to step in and say, this is a just and fair judgment of the situation. This was wrong and reparations need to be made. And the person doing the harming needs to be called out and healed from their need to do harmful things, right? God's sovereignty, God's final word on the situation is something we actually can't live without. We need it. Now, I know probably a couple of you got hung up on one sentence in that paragraph that I just read. See how God brings destruction on the whole world. Did anyone notice that? I'll see you. <laughs> we don't love that sentence, right? Like, what do you mean God's going to bring destruction? Isn't this the antithesis of what we understand God to be? Is this just another holdover of the ancient war god understanding that sometimes prevails in the Old Testament? No, actually, it's a good thing. <laughs> Stick with me, okay? Because if you keep reading, typically what happens is we read a sentence like that and we're like, nope. We just nope out of the whole passage of scripture. What is being destroyed? God brings destruction on the world. What is being destroyed? War. Weapons of all kinds. Human ego that refuses to bend. That is a world, isn't it? I, like, I think of like, I don't know, the American industrial military complex. <laughs> Just casual thoughts, <laughs> shower thoughts. <laughs> How it interacts with the rest of the world and with us. What a world we have created. I, I mean, think of the governments of other nations, right? Like how people attack and oppress and control and do unspeakable damage. What a world we have created. Here's a reframing of that phrase. See how God brings destruction on the world. See how God brings destruction on the systems that do nothing but destroy. See how God tears down the industries that do nothing but abuse God's good people and God's good earth. See how God devastates the corporations that wreak havoc in the world and treat people as though they are disposable. And 
what's interesting is that like the desolation, the destruction, it's anything but violent. It's actually a disarmament because people are not destroyed, but their tools of destruction are. In the time this psalm was written, they were dreaming of a time when there were no swords or spears or bows and arrow. What are we dreaming of? Maybe of a day when there's no such thing as a weapon that can wipe an entire city off the earth or more. Of a day when hurting people cannot access weapons that they can use to hurt or maim or kill others. Of a day when governments don't have to have military budgets. And <laughs> it sounds so great, doesn't it? It's like a pipe dream. I feel like it's a pipe dream. To me, it's a pipe dream. Like, I look around the world, our neighborhood, sometimes my house with a toddler, and I just don't see how this can ever happen. Like, truthfully. I'm like, there's no way. Like, there's no way this is ever going to happen. I'm reminded of a book I read years ago. It is The Diary of Dong Thuy Tram, and it was called Last Night I Dreamed of Peace, and she was a Viet Cong doctor who survived the Vietnam War. And her diary got published after she died, and it's really like heartbreaking and beautiful and highly recommend. But it, like, I mean, I read that probably 10, 12 years ago, and that book has stayed with me, especially that line, last night I dreamed of peace. Because I think we do that, right? We dream of peace. And then we wake up. And then there's war. In the morning, there's war. How do we reconcile that? Those two separate things. How can we have faith that something, anything, is going to change? How can we lay down our weapons willingly, knowing that other humans are not going to do the same? And they may take advantage of our unprotectedness. How can we live peaceably, knowing that others will not? And they may bring violence to us. They may bring death to us. I don't think there's an easy answer. I can only echo the words of Rachel Held Evans that death is something empires worry about, not resurrection people. And we are resurrection people, people of faith in Jesus Christ who did not fear death or tried to avoid it, but went through it and came out on the other side where death actually lost its sting and power and control. And I know that's not easy. That's not an easy word. Like, it's not easy to hear, but it's also not easy for me to say out loud. Like, you should know I do not have it figured out, not even in the slightest. I am not up here being like, and now I will never have anxiety ever again. No, <laughs> okay? Like, I can't say I'm not afraid, because I am, right? Like, I, especially after losing another baby in August, like, I have flashes, and I have intrusive thoughts, and I have moments where death or loss or danger, real or imagined, seems looming, out of control, unstoppable, overwhelming, and that's easy to let that be the whole story, right? But it's not the full story, because I also have moments of peace, and serenity, and security, moments where I feel safe and cared for, 
moments where I feel like a resurrection person. If God is the true sovereign ruler of the universe, then we can stop fighting about who's in charge down here. We have to cease from our violence. And it's really easy to like look at other people and be like, yes, they should. Okay, what about us? What about all the ways we hurt each other? What about all the ways we hurt ourselves? And we're like, oh, that's just how I live. Cut it out. God says cut it out, okay? God has the final word. And God's final word is not violence. It is grace and mercy and peace and hope and joy in our hearts and to the world. Y'all can come back up here. I'm almost done. There are three names used for God in this psalm. And each of them carry really deep meaning. And it's really easy to miss in our English translation because our English translation is like, God does this, God does that. We just have one word for God. But there's three different words for God in this parage, in, in this parage, in this paragraph. And the most frequent is Elohim, which means the God of Jacob. the God of the Israelite ancestors who refused to abandon them, who cared for them, provided for them, led them out of slavery and into a promised land. The second name, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. The name associated with the Ark of the Covenant that once traveled everywhere with the Israelites and now stood in the holiest place in the temple, an eternal sign of protection and presence. And the third name, is Elyon Most High. This name had been associated with God in Jerusalem since pre-Israelite days, signifying God's abiding presence over centuries of cultural change that had taken place way before this psalm was written. All those names drawn from different corners of tradition, all deliberately used to name different aspects of God. The psalm like builds, it's like getting to a crescendo. It's like, God, the earth is trying to destroy itself and God will not allow it. Humans are trying to destroy ourselves and God will not allow it. And God has a place of safety in the city and God is sovereign and God has the final word. And like it's getting to like this crescendo and then the God of our ancestors in the faith, the God of protection and presence the God who was and is and is to come. That God now speaks in the psalm. That divine voice breaks in. The voice that, from what we've learned so far, can stop hurricanes, can melt weapons of war, can overthrow governments. That voice speaks and says, maybe the unexpected, be still and know that I am God. Be still. That's the hardest command in the Bible. After love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the hardest one. But then be still is right underneath. Be still. No. <laughs> I am not good at that. I don't like doing that. I'm like, even when I'm sitting in a chair, I have been forever scolded by my mother since I was born for fidgeting. I'm like, all the time. Be still, what do you mean be still? Be still when there's a hurricane outside and there's a hurricane in your heart. 
Be still. When politics weigh heavy on your soul and you feel as though your life is once again being debated by people who don't care to see you as a person. Be still when you see the utter devastation caused globally by war and when you consider the devastation we have done ourselves. Be still when anxiety grips your heart in ice and you feel like you can never be safe again. Be still when depression robs the joy from all the little moments in your life and you're questioning whether it's worth it. Be still when you want to fight and rage and take the battle to those people. Be still when death is looming and feels completely final. Remember that God is sovereign. God has the final word. And God's final word is not death, but life. Not abandonment, but safety. Not absence, but presence. Not chaos, but order. And not hatred, but joy. Don't be afraid of it. You are a resurrection person.